without those who love me and the Lord. So it's always good to be a part of the fellowship. Uh, that I love the Greek word, and I'm, I'm going to talk about prayer in just a few moments, but I'm kind of on a roll here. I love the Greek word that we translate as fellowship. The, the word is koinonia, and you can hear uh, a, a word, an English word in that Greek word that makes some sense to us. It's the word coin. So, as Papa would have said, I don't have two nickels to rub together in my pocket. So I don't have any change in my pocket, but if I had a coin... I would take it out and, and I would show you a quarter or a dime or a nickel, whatever it would be, and I would say to you, this is what we call common currency. That's what we call it. It's what we have in common. It's what we can trade, what we can pay with. It's the same to me as it is to you. A quarter means 25 cents to me. It means 25 cents to you. It's what we have in common, and that's what koinonia is. Uh, remember story about a, a pastor that asked for a definition of fellowship, and some smart aleck in the room said it's two fellers in the same ship. <laughs> that's pretty good, because honestly, uh, we're in the ship together, aren't we? We're in the Lord together, we're in life together, and it's just good to have that common ground as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can share things together, pray together, lift up one another and share burdens. It's just good, as Bill Gaither wrote it in the song many years ago, to be a part of the family of God. Way back when, we started talking about prayer on Wednesday nights, and I want to pick that back up. If you'll remember we started dealing with a section of Scripture in the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. And so I would ask you to turn back there with me tonight to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. And we're going to look at tonight the Lord's Prayer. And not only will we look at it tonight for the next several Wednesday nights, this is where we're going to be as we examine together this pattern for praying that the Lord Jesus Christ gave us. And tonight we're going to make our way a great distance through this model prayer because we're going to look at two words, our Father. Uh, and, and I could, honestly, I could talk to you about what it means when we pray to God as our Father for more Wednesday nights than, than just this one. I mean, we could talk about that, honestly, for weeks on end, but we won't do that. We won't press the detail that much. But I think it's very important as we study this prayer, this model for praying that Jesus gave us uh, to, to understand what it means when we go to the Lord as Father. So let's just bow right now together and pray and ask God to uh, relieve our minds of other things that we might would want to think about tonight and help us just to focus on, on this model prayer from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Would you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you for uh, the blessing of this beautiful day. Thank you, Father, for the fellowship that we've talked about that we have with one another 
as we come into this place to worship you, to pray together, to learn from your word. I pray, Lord, that tonight you would move distractions from our minds. Lord, there's a lot of things we could think about right now. A lot of crazy things happening in our world and in our community and our state. Father, in our own individual lives with our families, uh, there is so much whirring around us. But I pray that, Lord, just for a few moments, we could just lay all of that aside and grasp what you want to say to us through your word. Lord, we want to thank you that we can pray. And it is because you're a gracious and a loving Father that we here on earth can connect with you and that you hear us and that you answer our prayers. Lord, help us not to neglect this important part of our lives. And Lord, help us not to neglect it personally or corporately. Father, help us as a church family to just relish what it means that we can come together and pray. And may our moments together in your word tonight uh, be a part of our valuing prayer much, much more in our lives. I pray and I ask all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus. And amen. Many of you probably have what we call the Lord's Prayer memorized. So if you do, I'm going to give you the opportunity to recite it with me. If you don't, it's okay to use your cheat sheet, your Bible, and just read it out loud. But I want to do this for these Wednesday nights as we're going to be walking through the model prayer. I want us to say it all out loud together, uh, not because, and we'll talk about this in more detail in a few moments, not because the Lord's intention is for us just to recite this, maybe as some type of a lucky rabbit's foot, and you know it makes us right with God just to say these words. But again, locking in these words as a pattern, And you'll understand as we go through it more what I mean by calling it a pattern. And so uh, let's just say it out loud together, and then I'm going to dive right in. So Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9, will you say it with me? Well, let's go. Let me say the first phrase, and then you jump in with me. Jesus said, after this manner, therefore pray ye. Here we go. Our Father, which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's right. We talk much about the disciplines of the Christian life, and we could talk about several of those disciplines tonight, but I want to say to you from the outset that I believe the two primary disciplines 
of the faith walk are the disciplines of Bible intake and then prayer. Of course, Bible intake, you might just refer to it as Bible reading. I like the word Bible intake because we are really blessed to live in this modern world where we can receive from God's Word in so many different ways. So we think about the content of the Word more than we think about the form of the Word. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, We all have, I hope, our paper-bound copies of the Word of God or leather-bound copies with paper on the inside. And that's kind of the tradition that you and I have grown up in. But isn't it a blessing that now you can turn on your phone and have the Word of God on your phone, or like I do because of the driving I do and the traveling I do. Uh, So many times I can have my Bible app on my phone read verses to me, and so I can be going up and down the road and taking in the Word of God. So that's critically important because that's primarily how God speaks to us. God more than any other way, speaks to us through what He has already said, what He has said in His Word. I'm going to say this in parentheses, then I'll get back on track tonight. Always beware of people that may come up to you and say something like this, I have a new word from God. Or if you turn on the radio or listen to one of the television Bible teachers or quote-unquote preachers, and they begin to talk about some new revelation from God. Here's what you always need to do. If somebody says they have a word from God, look and see how that matches up with the word we already have from God. And if somebody says something as a revelation or a word from God that is contrary to what God has said in His recorded word, you don't need to listen to it. So it's so important for us to hear a word from the Lord, and primarily the way we do that is by taking in the word of God. But God doesn't only want to speak to us. God obviously wants us to talk to Him. He wants us to pray. So those two things, I believe, become consuming elements in the life of the child of God. Taking in what God says in His Word and then having regular, ongoing communication with the Lord. So hearing God speak to us through His Word and then speaking to God in our own prayers. And so if it's important that we speak to God in our prayers, I think it's very important that we really learn a pattern for doing so that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself has given us. Now, one of the man-made devices... And our copies of the Word of God are those red letters. Uh, there's, there's a song that's been popular in Christian radio over the last 
year or so that talks about the red letters. Uh, I have a friend that does some work with teenagers over in Pulaski County, and she, she calls her work with teenage girls red letter advocates. That's a man-made device, but it's a helpful device because when we see the red letters, we know what? Those are words that came from the lips of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, red-lettered words here, is teaching us how to pray. What I want you to know about the model prayer is not only did Jesus teach it in the Sermon on the Mount, and if you'll remember back a few weeks ago, we talked about how not to pray. You know, Jesus taught us not to pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like those people who wanted to stand out on the street corners and use big, eloquent, flowery words and go on and on and on repetitiously in their prayers so that everybody would hear them. Jesus taught us what? When everybody hears them, then that's what they get with their prayers. But we want more than that. We don't want to just be heard by men when we pray. We want to be heard by God when we pray. We want to truly connect with God. And so Jesus gives us this model prayer as he teaches the Sermon on the Mount, but it's also reiterated. You probably know this. Matthew 6 is not the only place where we find the pattern for praying from Jesus In the Gospels, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 1, I want you to notice what happens. Here are the Lord and the disciples, the apostles, and there's this teaching moment, and in 11.1 of the book of Luke, Scripture says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And then Jesus began to teach them to pray using nearly word for word the model prayer that you find here in Matthew chapter 6. So if the Bible says it, it's important. Nod your head like this. If the Bible says it, it's important. If the Bible reiterates it, if the Bible says it again, then it's very important. So I don't want you to miss this. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us this model for praying. And then when one of his disciples asks him, Lord, will you teach us to pray like John the Baptist has taught his disciples? And then Jesus gives them once again this model for praying Well, I would think that's pretty important. It's something that we need to understand. It's something that we need to get down. And so think again in in Luke here where the disciple asks him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, before we start looking at what Jesus indicated as a good pattern for praying, uh, let's dispel some of our notions, I would say, about prayer. In other words, let's talk about what Jesus did not say. And before I get there, you guys know on Wednesday night, I love to have your interaction. Uh, What are some things that aren't necessarily biblical? 
And in parentheses, let me say, it doesn't mean these are bad things, and it doesn't mean that you should not do these things. But what are some things that we've been taught about praying? What are some things when you were a little girl or a little boy growing up in church or in your home life, what were some things that your spiritual elders taught you about praying? Pray in secret. What else did I hear? My soul to keep. Yeah, all those are are uh, are model prayers that that we've been taught to pray. What about this? Let me just get to the chase and tell you what I'm talking about. Did you ever did you ever have somebody in your life like my mom that could do that gouge pinch at the same time? Have you ever been gouged? and pinched at the same time. Have you ever gouged anybody and pinched them at the same time? All right. No pointing, uh, no calling names, but, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, when I was growing up in my home church, if I was sitting by mom, if, you know, if during the time of prayer, if I was just looking around and seeing what was going on in the auditorium, you know, mom, reach over and give me one of those gouge pinches because by our tradition, we're supposed to do what? Bow our heads, close our eyes. So we're, we're taught those things. And so we, we grow up and, and that's just who we are. It's, it's part, again, of our tradition. Now hear me. Clearly, I'm not saying that you're not supposed to do that or it's wrong to do that. But now, does the Bible tell us to do that? No. You won't find that anywhere in the Word of God. And so when the disciple asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray, Jesus didn't say anything about posture, did He? You know, He didn't didn't say, you know, you got to get in just the right form and close your eyes, bow your head, those things. Uh, In fact, if you study Scripture, people prayed in all kinds of postures. Sometimes people would be on the ground before the Lord praying. Sometimes standing up with hands lifted to heaven, with eyes uh, looking up toward heaven, people would pray. So the bottom line is it's not about posture, although I understand where that comes from, you know, close out the distractions, particularly in in a public place like this, it's very helpful. Close your eyes, bow your heads, you know, remove the distractions so that you can concentrate on connecting with the Lord. But here's what I want you to know tonight. Regardless of whatever posture you're in, when you connect your heart to Him in prayer, God hears your prayer. So it's not about posture. It's not about place. You know, again, when the disciple asked Him, Lord, teach us how to pray, He he didn't say, well, you, you have to be in the prayer closet. Of course, Jesus was using that to teach us that 
it's not important how other people perceive us when we pray, but we ought to be, you know, in a place in our hearts that we understand it's just about us and God communicating with God. So it's not that we have to be in a closet. It's not that we have to be uh, in a church building. It's not that we have to be in any certain place. Again, Scripture says, like what Paul writes, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, he says, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere. In other words, Paul writes and he says, I wish people would just pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So we ought to be grateful tonight that we can pray at any place, at any time, regardless of our posture, and just know that the Lord Here's our prayer. And so when the disciple asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray, he doesn't talk about posture, he doesn't talk about place, he doesn't talk about time, because there's never just the right moment to pray. But I think there are moments when we should pray. Now again, do not misunderstand me. I think some habits are good. I developed a little habit many years ago because I heard a Bible teacher once say that before we talk to anybody else in the morning, we ought to talk to God. And so I try to do that. Most mornings, I I will do that. Just before I I get up out of the bed, I I will say a word to the Lord and thank Him for His watch care through the night, thank Him for a good night's rest. You know, the older you get, You know what that means? I didn't know the value of a good night's rest until a few months ago. I was kind of the the type of person that could just lay down anywhere and in a few moments get to sleep and sleep all through the night. That has changed in my life. And so those nights when I do get a really good night's rest, I want to thank God for them because that means a lot, doesn't it? Just to be able to sleep through the night, that means a lot. Uh, that your family is doing well. Uh, my, my oldest son, I should have told you all about this, forgive me. Some of you could have probably come. But my oldest son preached uh, Conway Baptist Monday night. And we had a lot of family that came and some of our friends came and I think they had about, and I'm not making fun of them, I don't mean it that way, they had about eight people, I think, uh, from their congregation there, and we brought in about 25. <laughs> and uh, he, he preached a, a, a beautiful message on who Jesus is, and we, we kind of did that because today's his birthday, and so he's down at school where he ought to be, and we knew we wouldn't see him on his birthday so we got to, to do that with him Monday night and uh, slip up to Berea to Papalino's, a pretty good place to celebrate birthday. They have that chocolate cake. Speaking of prayer, you eat a bite or two of that and you pray, Lord, forgive me. <laughs> I say all that, I digress, I say all that simply to say this. You know, if you've got 
a child, an adult child, that's following God's will for his or her life, that doesn't mean they have to be in that type of Christian service. We're all in the Lord's army, right? And, and if you've got kids that are trying to follow the Lord, and you wake up in the morning and that's on your mind, I did that. I said all that simply to say that Tuesday morning when I woke up, uh, I said, Lord, you know, just, just thank you that we could have that experience with him on Monday night. And thank you, Lord, that you're giving him another birthday here in a few days. I don't take that for granted anymore. And so it's a good thing to talk to the Lord before you talk to anybody else in the morning. You might talk to other people better if you talk to him first. I bet you Miss Amy can tell if I've talked to the Lord in the morning before I speak to her. So that's, that's good. It's good to talk to the Lord in the morning. It's certainly good to talk to the Lord before you go to sleep. It's good to have devotional habits where you're reading through passages of Scripture or studying a good devotional book and you have that blocked off moment of time that you can talk to the Lord but always remember what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says. And it simply says this, Pray without ceasing. What does that mean about time? That means that we ought to be in an attitude of prayer as we go through life. It does not mean that we can pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's not what pray without ceasing means. No one could do that. And God never asks us or tells us to do something that we can't do. God's not telling us that that we just pray all the time. We have to talk to other people too, right? But what God is saying there, that it doesn't matter the time. Habits are good, but thanks be to God that we can pray whenever the need arises, whenever we need to ask for supplication, whenever we feel the goodness and the mercy of God in our lives and we just want to whisper a prayer to Him that says, Lord, thank You for who You are, for Your glory and for Your grace. When that feeling comes over us, We ought to just pause wherever we are and just say that to the Lord. So when the disciple asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray, he doesn't really talk about time because posture, place, time, those are not the issue. We actually can pray in any posture. We can pray at any time. We can pray in any place, under any circumstance, In any attire, it doesn't matter, prayer is always fitting because prayer is to be our way of life. That's what I want you to see. Pray without ceasing simply means that prayer is to be our way of life. Sometimes life calls for it to be more concentrated. (laughs) Sometimes... Life calls for it to be very, very specific. I remember when I was a student 
at Cumberland College, and we had a little thing that we had on the door of our dorm room that simply says, as long as there are exams, there will always be prayer in school. You know? So sometimes prayers are very specific. Lord, help me recall what I stayed up last night studying or driving down the road, as I've said to you before, and and somebody cuts you off and you're about to slam into them. Lord, uh, take the wheel. You know, all those prayers are appropriate. And so, again, the disciple asks him, Lord, teach us how to pray. Jesus doesn't talk about those things that we have propounded into our kids and that have been driven into us. We've talked so much about form and we need to be talking more about substance. And that's what he does here. Notice in verse 9 of Matthew 6, Jesus says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. So, Take this pattern is what Jesus is saying. Understand this pattern and use this pattern for the prayers in your life. A good way to understand what Jesus is saying here is just to substitute these words and you're not taking away or adding to Scripture. It's helping you understand what it means. Along these lines. Jesus is saying along these lines. Pray. And so he begins with addressing the Lord, the invocation, if you would, calling out to the Lord, and he simply says, Our Father. Who was Jesus? Now, don't talk to me about his deity. We know who he was in his deity, Son of God, God in the flesh. But who was Jesus the man? Well, he was a first century Jew, right? Jesus was a first century Jew, and he was originally teaching first century Jews. So the disciple that asks Jesus, teach us how to pray, is a first century Jew, and Jesus being a first century Jew, teaches as a first century Jew. And the Jews in the day and time of Jesus understood, I would think about five, and this isn't an exhaustive list, it's just the list that I think through, when I look at other passages in the Old Testament, they had about five thoughts about the fatherhood of God. So Jesus says, pray to God as your Father. So our Father. Here's what I'm trying to do with you tonight. Let's get into the mind of the first century Jew. And let's try to understand when Jesus talks about our Father, how did they think of God as Father? And my friends, I would say these are good ways for us tonight to think of God as Father. I would say, first of all, they thought about God as Father, meaning that God was their source. 
as Father, God is the source. Everything we know and who we are ultimately comes from God. And that Jewish mindset definitely understood that. I want you to listen to a verse from 1 Chronicles as, as David is praying to the Lord and calling out to the Lord. 1 Chronicles 29 verse 10, Scripture says, Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. What does David mean there? We come from God, and specifically, there's a national aspect to that. The Israelites and the Jewish people were God's chosen people, and so He was their source. There would be no nation, Israel, were it not for God. I won't get sidetracked very long, but I think it bears into just what's going on in the world today. You do realize that Israel exists as it does today as a miracle nation. It's a miracle nation. And it's always been that way. You know, here's Abraham, Abram at the time, and Ur of the Chaldees, and God calls him out and just says, get up and go. Go where I show you to go, and I will make you into a great nation. And what a miracle happens after that. You know, here's Abram and Sarai at the time when they're way past childbearing years. And even though there were problems and they tried to concoct a plan of their own, which, by the way, is the reason that Hamas bombed Israel just a few days ago because the Arabs are children of Ishmael and the Jews are children of Isaac. So all this thing started back in Abram's tent, right? And there's been that hostility between the two from that point up to this point today. Now I'm getting away from myself, but the, the bottom line is they started out as a miracle nation. They end up in Egypt in captivity, and God brings them out of that in very miraculous fashion. They're a miraculous nation. And then they ceased to be a nation in 70 AD, AD, and they weren't a nation at least recognized by the world until 1948. And now here they are as a nation. Again, here's the thing you have to say when you think about all their history. And we could talk till midnight just about their history, but here's what you have to conclude. If God wasn't in the midst of that, if God wasn't orchestrating this, if God wasn't designing that, there is absolutely no way that Egypt or excuse me that Israel would would be a nation today. So when they were taught by Jesus to cry out our father, 
It's a thought of source. We're here because our Father has us here. We're here because our Father cares for us. He is our source. And my friends, could we not say the same thing tonight? We wouldn't be here. America wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have the freedom that we're enjoying right now to be in this place to meet together without the threat of intrusion and all of those things if we didn't have a Father who has provided this for us. So when we cry out our Father, we're thinking about God as source. The second thing I would say about their mindset when Jesus taught them to pray, Our Father, there's a thought of nearness. When you think about your Father, you ought to think about nearness. A father isn't like an uncle or a cousin or a friend or a neighbor. A father, if he is right, is with you. And I know that we have pitiful examples sometimes of fatherhood. I get that, but I'm talking about in its truest sense, fatherhood denotes nearness. Uh, One of the real problems, it's a message for another day, I'll say it quickly and move on, but one of the real problems of our nation today is the problem of dropout dads. Men that won't stay near their wives and their children and and those kinds of things. I love the 68th Psalm. We don't have time to to turn to it and read it, but you can read it, you can make a note of this, and you look through the 68th Psalm and you'll see uh, how the psalmist extols the great things of God. And then in the middle of All of that talking about how great God is and how powerful He is. Psalm 68 verse 5 says that God is a father to the fatherless. Beautiful words. He is near. He's not like a dropout dad that shirks his responsibility. And so when we cry out, Our Father, it's a word about nearness. I've got to move on. Number three, they would have seen God as loving and gracious. So when we cry out to God, we say, Our Father, we're speaking to somebody who is loving toward us and gracious. Aren't we thankful tonight for the mercy and the grace of God? You know these words, Psalm 103, listen to verses 11 through 13. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. I had some people that I grew up near whose father was just an absolute terror. And I relate to these people even to this day as adults 
and their lives have been scarred. I remember even watching as, as a child, and I would think, that's just not right. Because instead of seeing their dad as someone who loved them and was gracious toward them, they were afraid of him. Now, there were certain things about my dad that I was afraid of too, but it was improper balance. You know, I, I had a dad who loved me and who was gracious to me who did a lot of things for me that I did not deserve. That's a part of fatherhood, right? And that's how they saw God, a father to the fatherless, someone loving and gracious. Number four, they saw God as someone who guides. Jeremiah 31 verse 9, of course, Jeremiah is the weeping prophet and Jerusalem is being destroyed But he sees this plan of God unfolding and he writes, With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. So, God saying there, difficult days are upon you, but I am going to guide you. I'm going to lead you back. A father is one who guides. The fifth and final thing I'll say about their mindset of seeing God as father is that they saw him as one to be obeyed. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 6. There's, a, there's an interesting verse there that says, Do you thus repay the Lord? In other words, when you're, when you're away from God, when you're doing what you should not be doing, when you're living life not according to His grace and His will, is that how you repay the Lord? You foolish and senseless people, is not He your Father who created you, who made you, and established you. In other words, Moses there writing in Deuteronomy says, just like when your earthly father told you what to do, he expected your obedience. The same is true about your heavenly father. He's your source. He's, uh, you know, a, a provider. He's gracious. He's good to you. He's all of those things. But at the same time, when you think about God being your father, there is this notion that he is the one that I owe my obedience, to whom I owe my obedience. So there's a tone of obedience that's in that when we pray to our father. Because listen, I've said this to you before, but it really bears repeating in this context. God doesn't always answer your prayer the way you want Him to. God does not always say yes. But even when God says no, you owe Him your obedience. You accept that, you move forward, and you say, God, I don't understand it, 
but whatever you reveal to me as your will, I'm going to accept it and I'm going to obey it. It's kind of like that age-old thing that we've all gone through when your dad or your mom says, this is what I want you to do, and you keep asking why. You know the time-honored answer there, right? It doesn't matter because I said so. And sometimes God will lead us in ways, frankly, that we do not understand. And sometimes He says no to to prayers that, that we really feel like He should have said yes. And it's really not for us to ask why. It's for us to be obedient. So Jesus, first century Jew, teaching first century Jews. So I wanted just to give you a glimpse into their thought process when that happened. But let's bring it into who we are as New Testament Christians. And and there are two verses of Scripture that if they're not already marked and underlined in your copy of the Word of God, they ought to be. Romans 8.15, Paul writes and he says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's nearly reiterated in Galatians, Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you see it twice in the New Testament. Who are we? We are children of God. And as children rightly adopted through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, we have the right. We have more than a right. We have a relationship by which we can address God as our intimate Father, Abba, Father. So you know that uh, I relate a lot with Jewish people, and I work with them. And my partner in Israel, I've been around him and his three kids quite a bit, sometimes all three and him, sometimes just one or two of them and him. And they do me really, really bad. I mean, they can all speak great English, but when they don't want me to hear what they're talking about, they switch to Hebrew. And they can do it on a dime. I mean, I just don't, it's, it's hard for me to understand that. You know what you call a person that really just speaks one language, right? An American. It's pretty true, I'm telling you. The more you get out and deal with people around the world, you find out that people are, are a lot of times bilingual, trilingual, quadlingual, whatever you call that, that... We just don't. I mean, we're, we're locked into English and subsequently they learn English and we just expect them to be able to talk to us that way. But they'll do that. They'll switch 
And I love to hear the way they talk, and I, I pick up on a few things. And they're very expressive in their dialogues with one another. But if I get lost in conversation, I always can pick out when one of his children can speak to my friend Boaz and say, Abba. It's like a switch gets turned. And if he's speaking harshly, and they call him Abba, which is like us calling our father Daddy. When they do that, the tone is softened. You can just see, even though you might not understand the language, you can see from their expressions the father's heart just open up. And it's just a beautiful thing to watch. So in the Hebrew language, Abba is Daddy. And that's, my friends, who our Father is to us. He's Daddy. He's the Father to the fatherless. He's the one who provides, the one who cares. Let me wrap this up by saying this. When we pray to God, there should be no fear. There's no fear when you're talking to Daddy. When we pray to God, number two, I would say, there ought to be all kinds of hope. We should have hope when we speak to Him as our loving Father, if we don't have hope anywhere else we turn, we ought to have hope when we speak to God, our Father. Number three, it means we don't have to be lonely. I'm still trying to get my mind around last week so that I can share it, and I don't know how I'm going to do that. But I can, can I tell you this? I'll, I'll give you just a little a little bit of of what I went through when I was leaving there. So a friend drove me to the North Jordanian border and I just got out of the car. Me. In, In a place that was at war with all kinds of people around me saying all kinds of things that I could not understand. But I just have to tell you that I was at perfect peace. Because in that moment, y'all were praying, my family was praying, so many people were praying, and in that moment, I just felt an overwhelming presence of the Lord saying that it's going to be all right. I still have it on my phone. Do any of you know what WhatsApp is? Have you ever heard of WhatsApp? Uh, People in Europe and in Asia, and and some people is gaining popularity here in the U.S., but it's, it's it's a communication app that you can put on your phone. And I had to start using it when I started doing 
the other work I do a few years ago. But the, the only thing I had, I had an arrangement that a friend of mine had set up for a Jordanian driver by the name of Muhammad. Now think about that a little bit. I can't make this up. I can play it for you on my phone. And so I was walking through the Jordanian border, walking through it, with all these people around me, and thank God my phone was working and that my driver, Muhammad, could send me these messages and finally I get through and connect with him on the other side. But I have to tell you, in all of that, I really was not afraid. And I'm not tough. I'm not telling you that. That's, that's not my point. My point is, you were praying. Others were praying. And I was not lonely. That was the loneliest place, physically speaking, I'd ever been in my life. But I didn't feel the loneliness because the truth of what the writer of Hebrews says was just so evident. Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor ever forsake you. So when you can talk to Dad, you don't have to be lonely. And the other thing is, you can be bold in what you ask. You know, if you're feeling it, God already knows it. God knows all about you. He knows what you're thinking. He knows your perceptions. He, he knows you. And if you're feeling it and you want to ask it, He already knows that you want to ask it. So you can be bold. You can be bold boldly. Scripture says we can approach God's throne of grace. Why? Because sitting upon the throne of grace is not just the otherworldly creator, some distant God with whom we can't relate, but upon the throne of grace is our Father, Daddy. And you can speak to Him and know that He loves you. You can know that because He loves you, He's not necessarily going to answer your prayer the way you want Him to, but He's going to do it in a way that's best for you. Lord, teach us to pray. And that's the first step, is to know whom you're praying to. And that's our Father. Sorry, y'all, it's almost 8 o'clock. But we'll stop there. You spent a lot of time on a couple of words, right? I told you we could talk about God being Father for weeks on end, but we'll, we will transition, and we do want to have a moment of prayer before we leave. There is a prayer list. I'm sure many of you have a copy of it. You might want to make a comment on...